Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. In broken families, parents complain that their children owe them. Children delude themselves that their parents need them. From each perspective, the relationship devolves into extortion. A broken parent shames their child because they want repayment after, quote, everything I did for them. In stark contrast, St. Paul shames his children not to extract worldly honor or repayment for himself, but to pressure them to become providers for the sake of others, canceling out a child's sense of entitlement and self-importance. True parents, St. Paul explains, do not need anything from their children except that they do the commandments of God. Richard and I review 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 to 21. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 140 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We are now looking at verse 14 of chapter 12, and it parallels with verse 1 of chapter 13. We'll take the rest of the letter in two sections. But let's jump right in with Paul's ominous threat here for this third time i am ready to come to you and i will not be a burden to you for i do not seek what is yours but you for children are not responsible to save up for their parents but parents for their children provision comes from the father you don't depend on your children to take care of you you're the father and so you take care of them so when he says I'm not expecting anything from you. He's not saying that to be modest. He's saying that because he is proudly setting himself apart as the father. That's why I don't expect anything of you. Not because, oh, who am I to ask? No, I am everyone to ask. You owe me more than you could ever repay, and I won't take a cent. This is the third time Paul is coming to you. If he says it's the third time he's coming to you, That means it's the last time he's coming to you. So if he actually arrives on the third time, notice he didn't say, I am here for the third time. I am coming for the third time. If he arrives on the third time, you're out of chances. So it is threatening, and it's a very clever Pauline threat. I'm threatening you that I don't want anything from you, and I'm doing it all for you. And this is the last time I'm going to threaten you that I'm doing it all for you, which implies he's not going to offer you help after your third chance has expired. I mean, I like the three as it's like the tiebreaker. You were good one time. You were bad one time. This time we'll decide which side we're going to go on because I'm not going to come five times. That's just too many. (laughs) So we need an odd number to decide. Are you going the right direction or are you going the wrong direction? This is going to decide it. And just remember in Scripture, a decision when it comes from the Father 
is not a decision. It's a judgment. All of you have heard me say many times, I don't need my children. This is something I learned from my teacher. And it's something that we all learn together from Paul. Paul is saying very explicitly, if you want explicit parenting advice, here you have it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You should not take anything from your children and you should teach your children that they can't do anything for you. So next time I tell you in a church school class that it is impossible for a child to love their parent, please do not have a nervous breakdown. Just read 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It is impossible for them to do anything for Paul if he's their father. It's, as we always say, functional. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? He's saying, I'm willing to give everything to you because I'm the father. I provide to you. And if I'm giving to you and you aren't giving back and you feel bad that you aren't giving back and that I'm not allowing you to give back, does that mean there's something wrong with me? By no means. It means that I'm being consistent. The flow of blessings is one directional, from the father to the child, from God to human beings. It is one direction. There's nothing we can give to Paul. There's nothing we can give to God. There's nothing we can give. That's why even in the liturgy it says a sacrifice of praise the only thing we can even sacrifice is praising God for having given us so much. When the altar boy gives the censer to the priest and kisses his hand, and then the priest gives it back, the priest blesses him, but the altar boy then senses the priest three times. Now, if you think that the altar boy is blessing the priest, you don't understand Byzantine liturgy. The altar boy is reflecting the blessing of the priest which is what Paul is asking the church to do in 2 Corinthians. You can't bless Paul back. You can't love Paul back. There's no equivalency here. But you can reflect Paul's love. You can show gratitude for Paul's love and his provision by providing for others, loving others, and expressing love to Paul not as provision but as gratitude through your deeds. Gratitude through deeds, I think that's spot on. But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Someone once said, if you are not a good manipulator, you are not a good teacher. You have to understand everything through scripture. And once scripture co-ops your mind, you can't go back. Because Paul did not burden them. But scripture took what Paul was doing and made it a burden to them. So when Paul was giving to them, oh, isn't Paul nice? But when Paul is giving scripture, oh, isn't that great? Oh, wait a second. Scripture says that I can't do anything on my own, that only God provides for me the good and the bad. And so everything that Paul has done has been a gift from God, even when he's yelling at us, this is a gift from God. And so scripture forces you co-opts you, deceives you into respecting the one who brings you the good news. Well, how do you tell a group of people in late antiquity who are being persecuted by the Romans that by accepting this teaching, I will lessen your burden? Oh, and by the way, you'll be executed. It's not that it's lying to you because your burden is lessened because 
when you are willing to give your body over for the sake of love, you are free. You don't please God by fulfilling your ritual duties. You please God by giving yourself as a sweet-smelling incense and a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord in the way you offer yourself for the sake of others by the will of the teaching. That does definitely lighten the yoke on your back, but at the end of the day, it could put you on the cross. You know, how can you inspire in Revelation an entire generation of people to willingly go to be executed by the armies of Rome. You have to present a metaphor, a story that connects the truth with the difficult decision and actions that people have to take that it is not in them to take by default. You have to inspire people and connect with people so that they can make decisions that go against their nature. That is what this is all about. So in that sense, yes, Paul is deceiving you, but not really because he's been clear all along that this is about the cross. And because he has presented them with the cross, they've had to then come to the conclusion that Paul, as he appears more weak, as he appears more rejected, as he appears more insulted, is worthy of that much more honor and praise. And they're trapped. They have a decision. They can either go along with that to its logical conclusion or reject the gospel altogether. And so this is the difficult burden that Paul has put them under. They have to make a choice, accept the whole thing that honor that you think is honor is not honor, and weakness as you think of it is not weakness. Certainly, I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? So I have manipulated you, I have deceived you, in order to help you come to a knowledge of the truth of this teaching, to actually understand what the gospel is teaching you. I haven't deceived you in order to sell something to you for my gain. I'm not building up Judaism. I'm not serving the coffers of the circumcision party. I'm trying to deceive you for your sake. Anybody who is worth anything as a teacher understands that sometimes you have to fool people to get them past their own mental blocks. Paul makes it a point again that he does not get anything from them when he teaches them. And this is something that's very tricky because even among teachers in academia who need the approval of their students, it can't work. It can't work. This is why, as you talk often, Father, about grading your teachers is a problem because the teachers do not need your praise or your insult or any opinion out of you in order to continue to teach you. You either go along with what he teaches or you leave. And so the problem is that some teachers need something from their students. Paul emphasizes he needs nothing and therefore they cannot claim that he did whatever he did to take advantage of them because neither him nor anyone associated with him took or gained anything from the people. I urged Titus to go and I sent the brother with him Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? Titus functioned exactly as Paul, and the immediate context here is taking advantage or gain. He says, as I came to you, I got nothing from you. I refused everything from you. Didn't Titus do the same thing? Because there can be no accusation that Paul is getting anything from them, because not only does that undermine his role as the father, it also undermines his role as the bringer of the gospel because the gospel is that the less that you get, it's God who deprives you. 
not the people. You can't get angry at the people for not being generous enough. You only can get angry at God for not being generous enough, and there's no point in that, because he's the only one who is just. All this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. In other words, I am not defending myself because you're threatening me. I don't care what you think about me because you are not my judge. The priesthood is not a popularity contest. Paul's apostleship, all the more. A priest is just a pedagogos in the household, big deal. Paul is the apostolos, he's the messenger. He's the ikonomos and the paterfamilias at the same time. And he functions as both in his letters. You have many, many people who are your pedagogues. You have one father, and that's the Apostle Paul. Do you think he cares what you think? He answers to the one who sent him. That's the key. And this is how he undermines earthly power. I think it's very clever because in earthly power, when someone insults publicly the father, the boss, the head, that person has to react. They can either beat that person down he can say, I'm choosing not to beat you down. Watch it next time. He has to make a show of strength. Otherwise, he loses face. He has to save his face. That's what the father has to do. Now, if the ikonomos, the head slave, is standing with the paterfamilias and someone comes and insults the ikonomos, the ikonomos will not strike back. The ikonomos will look up to the paterfamilias. Will the paterfamilias allow it to happen or not? When someone strikes the head slave of the paterfamilias, it does not reflect on the economos. It reflects on the paterfamilias. Absolutely. And so is the paterfamilias going to react and how? That's how the paterfamilias saves face. The economos has no face to save. Now, what Paul is saying is that I don't need to defend myself to you. I only defend myself when the paterfamilias says, defend yourself. If the paterfamilias says, let it go, I let it go. A better way of saying it is, to follow your analogy, Paul is the paterfamilias who's appealing to the emperor. Because what Paul is saying is that if I had to defend myself to you, it was as if, like you said, Father, you're the judge. But the one who judges me is also the judge of Jesus Christ, who was crucified and it was seen as good by the Father. If, if God sees that as good, then it's good for me too. I only have one that I have to worry about. If you strike me in the presence of God the Father, it's up to God the Father to deal with. He's going to deal with me whether I follow his will, and he will deal with you whether you slap me or not. Now, for I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. In other words, children, if I come home from work and we are not on the same page, meaning you haven't gotten the message and because you haven't gotten the message, you are still not getting the message, meaning you interpret me incorrectly because you've already not gotten the message from me. Then you're going to squabble. And if I come and you're 
upset with the way that I'm presenting myself, I can't listen to your arguments. I can't afford to have strife and to argue with you. I can't afford jealousy where you wish that I was something or you wish something of yourself. Angry tempers that you're angry with me. Disputes, we're going to go back and forth on this. <laughs> Slanders, you're going to make up things. Gossip, I you're going to speak behind my back. We don't have time for this. I love American families because they create new economies in the United States. You really want to come home and spend time figuring out why your children are bickering? You're going to lose one minute of your time doing that? Then you're going to create a whole new market where they can spend the rest of their life trying to figure out why I'm bickering with... There's no figuring out. The law says, stop bickering, so you stop. That's what Paul wishes for you, that you would understand what the law teaches. And what you wish, he's making fun of you, what you wish is that dad wouldn't be angry. Well, if you want your wish fulfilled, you better understand what I wish. The only thing he worries about is that you don't get that. I'm afraid that when I come, you're going to come and just try to argue with me. And if that happens, it's not going to go well with you. Now, here's the rub. And it gets back to what we were saying about the command chain. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. In other words, the one to whom I answer, who is the only hope of my vindication, just like the only hope for the vindication of Jesus is God the Father, the only hope for the vindication of Paul is Jesus. So if Jesus does not vindicate Paul, then Paul has an issue. This is his appeal to them. And Jesus will humble Paul if Paul fails in his assignment from Jesus. Which is to teach the people. Which is to teach the people. People think repentance is this state or this relationship or something like this. It's actually more concrete than that. Are you being faithful to the teaching or not? That's what determines what your stead is with God. And so repenting is once you get off the track of following the right path, you need to repent, which means to turn back to the path. Shuv in Hebrew. Shuv, exactly. And so one of the problems in the prophets is that human beings have this disease, which is rebellion. Ever since Adam, human beings wanted to do it their own way. And Paul is very concerned that he has been trying to teach them a different way and that when he comes back, God will humiliate him because they won't respect his downtrodden state, but they're still going to fight according to what human honor and human strength are, which will show that they have gone off the path. So I'm hoping you guys are going to repent of the sin in the past, which is in the past you got off the track, and your immorality and sensuality. Immorality and sensuality means that you're following your senses and you're following the way that the world has presented you these values. And you're following worldly values and not scripture. You're following what honor and glory are to the Romans, not what honor and glory are to Torah. And it's interesting that in verse 18, Paul talks about conduct. He appeals to conduct and refers to the spirit as the one who helps you walk correctly in the same steps, meaning the steps that conform to the commandment of God. And then he goes into a lengthy list of all the ways in which the community is not walking correctly. So he is 
coming clean about all the reasons he has to crush them on his third visit. Mm -hmm. That's the key here. He's really pulling no punches now. He's saying, you want the truth? Let's talk about all the ways in which you are not walking according to the yeah, Spirit. Yeah, it's, it's brass tacks. I am afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you not to be what I wish. I am afraid that when I come again, God may humiliate me before you. It's interesting how he parallels my finding you to be not what I wish and God humiliating me before you, which is that when you are acting incorrectly, you're going to be humiliating me. It's not going to be a problem for me because when I am dishonored by worldly people, which you have proven yourself to be, that only raises my stature in front of God. Now, like you said before, I'm under judgment that I didn't teach you well. That's why he puts, I am afraid in both cases. Not afraid of what the people will do. Not that the people will treat him badly, but that he will have fallen in his duty to God. And you can't fall in the trap of saying, well, if Paul fails, God will install another teacher so glad God took our feedback because it wasn't going well with Paul. No. Maybe another apostle no. could teach us better. There are no letters of recommendation or feedback forms in the New Testament. Paul is your father. If he fails, the household fails and you're done. Don't forget the Macedonians. He's always got the Macedonians. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. Heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.